Welcome to the All Roads Podcast. We're your hosts, Sam Hahn. And I'm Dr. Sam Kindick. And we're experts on ancient Greece and Rome here today to talk to you about Ubisoft's 2018 game, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Cue the music. As for the real action of the war, I did not think it right to set down either what I heard from people I happened to meet or what I merely believed to be true. Even for events at which I was present myself, I tracked down detailed information from other sources as far as I could. It was hard work to find out what happened because those who were present at each event gave different reports depending on which side they favored and how well they remembered. This history may not be the most delightful to hear, since there is no mythology in it. But those who want to look into the truth of what was done in the past, which, given the human condition, will reoccur in the future, either in the same fashion or nearly so, those readers will find this history valuable enough, as this was composed to be a lasting possession and not to be heard for a prize at the moment of a contest. And that, dear listener, is from the opening to Thucydides' History, as translated by Paul Woodruff. And here we have kind of a a thesis statement for the historical method that Thucydides employs in recording all of the events that happened during the Peloponnesian War between Athens and Sparta, which is, of course, the setting of our topic today, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Sam, that's such an awesome speech i mean it's it's incredible to think that this is i mean that that was something that was written 2500 years ago right the sort of the the forward thinking power right of the of the ancient greeks you know the fifth century greeks that they i mean they're so modern i mean this is i mean one of the things about the ancient world is that they feel so modern in so many ways but they're not right and if we look at the, the ancient the world of the ancient greeks we look at the world of the ancient romans I mean this these brutal slave owning societies um with no concern for you know equity or anything sort of amongst the the sort of the the broad swaths of uh sort of the classes in humanity but there's something powerful to this right I mean this is a, that's a powerful speech from Thucydides and it's a powerful insight as a historian Right. To say, I'm going to tell you a history and I don't always know every bit of it. Right. So I'm going to sort of do my best. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to get the best information I can. And it's important because history repeats itself. And this is going to be valuable forever. Right. It's a bold statement to like open up his history to say this is going to endure. This is going to be important. Again, who knows how far you know forward Thucydides was looking when he wrote this history, but he definitely means for people far off in the future to be reading and interpreting his history. And that's commonly, you know, Thucydides plays a very important role. We're both based in the U.S. and, you know, U.S. foreign policy has oftentimes looked to Thucydides. People talk about the Thucydides trap, this idea that when a established power is um, confronted with a rising power, war is inevitable, whether or not that is a kind of true historical theory that, you know, actually bears out over time is, you know, much debated. 
But nowadays, people don't oftentimes talk about that in relationship to China and the United States. And so Thucydides is very much at least in the consciousness of political and historical thought um, to this day. So it seems like he was actually successful in what he set out to do in his histories. Yeah, and of course, his history right is about the Peloponnesian War, this, this war between Athens, which had been the leading power um, or certainly one of the leading powers in the, the ancient Greek world in the fifth century um, fighting against their sort of arch rivals, the Spartans. And it was the Athenians who had been right. That dominant power uh, and who wound up being defeated by the Spartans. And much of this is because of the, you know, the, the Athenian leadership failed leadership. I was just reading um, Donald Kagan's uh, history of the Peloponnesian war uh, this morning, uh, as I was thinking about Assassin's Creed, and he had this brilliant line, right? That the you know the Athenians were, you know the uh, the sort of the guiding force behind the uh, the Delian League, this you know coalition of Greek states, um, and eventually they abused their power. And he has this line where he's like, Athens uh, went from being the leaders to the masters of the Greek world. And I thought, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, this is good stuff, right? Greek history. I'm, I'm a Roman historian, but man, Greek history uh, fires me up. I like this. Yeah, Greek history is is fascinating. It's also interesting too because we have, in many ways, very few sources for a lot of these conflicts. Um, we have a lot more stuff to draw on, I think, for a lot of Roman history, uh, but yeah. for Greek history, we're also oftentimes very limited to single texts and fragments uh which is um not exclusively the case for the peloponnesian war um but certainly this is the only complete history really looking at this conflict but it's not even uh, complete right it ends right sentence it's true it is true thucydides does not finish this war he actually doesn't make it to the conclusion of the peloponnesian war um and we have to gain that information from from other sources but we're getting a little bit farther afield from our actual topic of discussion today which is ubisoft's 2018 video game assassin's creed odyssey um sam i know that you're a big fan of the assassin's creed series can you help like situate this in the space of all the other assassin's creed games for me so i i don't know if i can do that i haven't i haven't played a lot of the earlier games i i i have them when they when they go on sale i buy them on the playstation store um but I the I, the combination of just I think for me having this historical world, um, whether it's Rome, whether it's Florence, whether it's Egypt, um, or whether it's Greece, and then being able to just interact, experience it. I mean, I think this is you know any historian's dream. You know, would I want to myself go back to the fifth century in Greece or to ancient Rome? Sure, probably not. Probably not. Um, but being able to sort of crawl around and, and experience it. Um, so this is, I mean, this is the sort of the second series, second, second title in the sort of new series, I guess you could call it of, of Ubisoft's uh, Assassin's Creed, right. um, where it had been a much more stealth, uh, oriented game where you're sneaking through and you're doing these sneaky assassinations, um, you know, during the Crusades or in in the Renaissance, or um, 
even in Victorian England and, and syndicate. Um, but with origins, which was the previous title, which was t- set in Egypt. Um, and then, uh, Odyssey here. And then the Val- Valhalla, is that what it's called? The, the, the mm-hmm. one after this, right. it's much more of a sort of melee based running around, just interacting with anything. Um, right. Massive open world, massive open world. Right. Uh, for for listeners who haven't played any of the Assassin's Creed games, kind of the basic gameplay loop of this is you control a assassin with all sorts of weapons and tools, and you move around in this historical setting. Um, and more recently with Assassin's Creed Origins and Assassin's Creed Odyssey, the team has really focused on making as accurate of a recreation as as possible. Um, I think as the series has progressed, they've gotten more and more details right of the different locations where they have these assassins, whether it's um, in um, ancient the ancient Middle East, whether it's during the Revolutionary War. Um, they take great detail to actually recreate these locations in consultation with historians um, of that particular time period. Um, but essentially the gameplay is you play as this assassin moving around the world and you have certain objectives, whether that's escort this person safely to a location where they can escape, whether that's hunting down one of your rivals, um, whether that is talking with historical figures. Um, you have a lot of options as you explore. Again, it's as Sam said, a kind of massive setting um, in history. Um, as an actual character influencing the events um, of, of some of the greatest conflicts um, in the world. Yeah. And that's, ex- I mean, that's exactly right. Sam. this is, and that's what you can do in this game because it's, I know that the, 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 the Ubisoft people, I think this was made in Montreal. Um, Quebec. They were, yes. Quebec. Yeah. Um, they were big. They're going all in on choices. And so this game is actually set during the very beginning of the Peloponnesian war and you can influence that war. You can you can fight in some of the battles. We'll talk more about the the actual Peloponnesian War in this game in a in a subsequent episode. But I mean, you can jump in and you can fight for Sparta, or you could fight for Athens. Um, you can sort of strengthen either side, and so you really you know you have you feel like you have a say. You have a you know you can influence the way history turns out, which is yeah, it's it's super cool. I you know I just I love this game. Um, no, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm excited to talk uh, about it. So, yeah, um, let's talk about it a little bit as as a game. Uh, this is for for context on my how I came to this game. I did not play this game when it first came out. As we said, it was released in 2018. Uh, I distinctly remember when it came out, though, because I was in graduate school and everybody was talking about this game and how it was interpreting ancient Athens, ancient Sparta. Um, all of these various locations. Um, it was very much, um, everybody had a strong opinion on it. This is my first time though playing it. I played some of the very, very early Assassin's Creed when I was much younger, but I haven't come back to the series until now. Um, Sam, what do you, you said that you love the game. What do you love about the game most? Like, what do you find makes this compelling over, there are so many video games out there. Why Assassin's Creed Odyssey? What about it is so appealing to you the world and i know we're gonna we're gonna talk about this in the second half of the episode but just being in 
being in Greece. I mean, it's it's obviously a world that I I love. You know, being a a classicist. Um, it's a you know I've, I've been to Greece a bunch. Um, I lived in Greece one summer, and for me, I mean, just being there in this game. You know, it's been years since I've been to Greece now. Um, since before COVID, but I was, you know, I was running around Athens this morning with my son before you know we went to school and i was like man i really i and i love rome i love rome i love italy and you know it's it's hard for me to go to greece because anytime i go to europe i'm like i should just go to italy and rome <laughs> but just just being in this world i mean interacting you feel like you can smell things you're just walking around and it it feels real i mean it's 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 obviously and again we'll talk about this there are problems um, you know, there are, there's a limitation to creating an artificial world this big. There's just a, you know, a computing and a, a man hour limitation, but it, it feels, it feels to me like I'm in ancient Greece. And so just the exploring, I mean, the, the, the killing people and assassinating people, I mean, that's fun too sometimes, but for me, it's really, you know, I find myself logging into this game, you know, back when it came out and just sort of climbing a mountain and just looking out over the Aegean. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it certainly is, is beautiful. And listeners who are not as interested in a video game full of violence, there are also ways to engage with Assassin's Creed Odyssey in a nonviolent way. Um, with this game in the previous game, Assassin's Creed Origins, the team specifically built what they call like the discovery mode, where you can go on these kind of guided tours with no fighting involved, and they just kind of show you what everyday life looked like in Athens or talk to you about the Parthenon and its construction and things like that. And so you, there's an educational component of this video game that's completely separate from the kind of gameplay element of it. And I completely agree. Like, I think the strongest part of this video game is the setting. Um, you're hearing people speaking modern Greek, so they're not speaking ancient Greek, but you do get this kind of like, you are kind of transported to this different place, a very specific like context. Um, and it is so engrossing. What I find frustrating is when a level 20 boar runs into you, a level 15 warrior in the middle of nowhere and immediately kills you. Um, uh, in terms of gameplay of this game, I... I think, Sam, I said to you, I feel like this game is hell-bent on preventing you from enjoying the most fun aspects of it. Um, this game really loves to make you do repetitive, boring things before you can actually go on and do the actual cool stuff. And there's so much cool stuff in this game, and so much time is spent out in the wilderness hunting bandits so you can increase your level so you can fight harder bad guys um and to me that is the by far the least interesting part of this game and i feel like they really shove it down your throat there's a, a lot, lot of bandits in this a lot of, a lot of bandits a lot of yeah. army camps very close to each other in this world yeah but uh yeah no so i i i would like to empathize with you i can't I'm sure I had a similar experience. I mean, I they have a very cool feature in this game called like New Game Plus or something. I don't know um, where I, sure. I I beat the game you know years ago, and you know I I, I beat like all like all like, like a lot of the you know my 
it was defeat every bandit camp in like you know the Argolid check uh kill every boar uh, outside of Corinth check um you know loot every sunken ship in the Aegean check like I did all that stuff and I was able to because I wanted to go back and start replaying this game for this podcast I was able to take my whole character and all my gear and all my stuff and all my money that I had accumulated and just start a new game. So I came out firing and I, I I'm playing it on hard mode now. Um, but yeah, I've got, I've got like sweet gear. Everything I do is just fire. Like literally I just, I look at people and they catch on fires and I turn invisible. Then I like chain assassinate five people, then light more people on fire. It's great. And I have so much money, so much drop me <laughs> that every time, every time I, I just don't fight mercenaries anymore. I just pay my bounty. I steal something, I murder somebody, I kill somebody, and I just pay them off. So it's it's nice. It's it's good to be the king. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, so you know, I find myself enjoying this game for like long stretches. Uh, for example, right before, uh, yes, yesterday I I went back and spent some time in Athens, and there's a moment in Athens where you get to attend a symposium at the house of Pericles, and you meet all these famous people. And we're going to do an episode talking about all of the important figures in this game and, and um, where they actually plug into history. So look forward to that. But that was a very exciting moment. Like it is fun to interact with these historical yeah. figures, to meet Socrates, to meet Euripides, to meet Pericles and actually you know, talk to them and feel like, Oh, they got it. They, they like have captured some sort of essence of who this person was in history that I get to interact with. Like that is very exciting. Um, and it is just, it is frustrating that I think kind of the um, moment to moment gameplay isn't always that enjoyable. Um, I think the highs are very high with this game, but the lows are very, very low. And I find myself in the low end of the spectrum more than the high end of the spectrum in terms of just like enjoying it as, as a video game. You got to wander off. You just got to go and explore you know but then you and run you... but then that's when you run into the level 35 <laughs> boars and they'll get you that's uh, true you can't, you have to, you can't just you have go to pay attention to your game. map yeah, yeah you have to pay attention to your map um i remember i did i did used to go places i wasn't supposed to be just so i could go to the the fast travel locations and sync those so right. i could then for, facilitate quick travel around but um i mean so did you do you think this is unique to this game? I mean, in your previous Assassin's Creed games, do you remember? Are you just bad at this game or? <laughs> uh, I don't think, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I guess the jury's out whether or not I'm good at this game. Um, I, I think, you know, criticism of the Assassin's Creed franchise is oftentimes that it is very repetitive and that they build this massive world and they they can't come up with unique things to fill it. All of the time, which is perfectly understandable. Um, again, I can imagine building a game where you have the entire geography of ancient Greece and then making sure that every 20 seconds you have an interesting, unique thing to do in that world. That's obviously not how the real world works, right? You spend a lot of time in traffic not doing anything interesting except listening to the All Roads podcast, Ooh. right? But, you know, in your real life, you don't spend every 20 seconds you're not being fully engaged and enjoyed but also it is a game so you want that and so i think there is the this 
tension between making a huge game and also just the limitations of time and how many how many things can you come up with before this thing actually has to ship and hit shelves um, for for people to buy. Um, again, this is not my 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 type of game typically, um, but I, I haven't I haven't disliked my time with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I will say that. Yeah, see, I like I like this these these massive open worlds. I I'm not I'm not a person who plays. I don't have a ton of time to play video games at all anymore with with the kids. But you know the games right. I've been playing, there's like three games that I play, and I've like been playing them for twenty years plus. You know I've I've, you know I'm I'm still in the world of Warcraft, right? Which is about <laughs> to celebrate its twentieth anniversary. Wow! Uh, this fall. I've been playing civil. I got Civilization Six. I've been playing Civilization since since it came out in for DOS in like 1991. Wow! Like it's like that and like Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I tried. I I played Origins. I didn't. I didn't 100 percent it. I got Valhalla, and I I quit for for I think the same reason that everybody. I played it for like four hours, and I was like, oh cool. I just did like a a raid on a lot. You know, I was on the long ship. I did like a raid. And then I was learned that that's all you do in the game, which I know is an oversimplification. My friend was just telling me how he was like in London and like exploring London. That sounds cool. But I was like, I'm not about to do a long ship raid just repeatedly. Right. So for me, it's, I mean, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, the, the attraction is the land. I mean, it is the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I was less interested in being in, you know, Scandinavia or England, um, less interested in walking through random parts of Egypt. You know, I, there's parts of Egypt that are very cool um, in Origins, but just top to bottom, it's just gorgeous um, yeah. Odyssey. And again, I just, I don't mind the sort of the travel through nothing because that nothing means you can climb a hill and look at the sparkling Aegean. I mean, it's, I don't know. I just, I, I can't get enough of it. Not even just playing it, just walking around. I love it. Well, it sounds like we are ready to dive into talking about the world that Ubisoft Quebec has created in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So let's take a break and let's come back and talk about um, how successful they were in building ancient Greece of the 5th century. Welcome back. Again, we've talked a little bit about the Assassin's Creed series and how I think as the series has gone on, they've done more and more work to create more and more accurate, you know, historical rec recreations within the game engine um, that you as a player get to experience. Uh, for this game, they actually had a historian come on as a consultant, uh, Stephanie Ann Rauta, um, PhD, classical historian, um, who is kind of now a permanent member of the Ubisoft Quebec team. I believe now she is the world director for their upcoming game set in feudal Japan. Uh, but she is very much trained in the history, the archaeology of ancient Greece and helped this team recreate the world. Sam, what do you think of like how, su how successful were they in creating the feel of ancient greece i think we can get into specifics about how they actually deal with specific locations what do you think though of the overall field do you think this is what it is what it would have been like to live in ancient greece in the fifth century 
No, not really. Um, but I'm not sure what, I don't know. There's just, I mean, it, there's so many questions as to what this world looked like. Right. Um, and I think that what they do, I think they do a great job of capturing Greece. I mean, the actual sort of landscape of, of the Greek world. Right. The mountains, um, the olive yeah. trees, the, the sea, the, yeah, the islands, though I hate the, the ship travel, but I think that what they do a really good job of is capturing what we think, what we want the fifth century to look like. And I'm sort of okay with that. You know, I think that the ancient world is less glamorous probably than we think. And they do a good job. I mean, that not everything is, is marble. Right. Um, and, and beautiful and, and, and glorious. And it's remarkably clean. It's um, very clean. There's the houses are farther apart than I think they might be in some places. Um, not that it's not densely settled, but it's, you know, th- th- you have to take sh- not shortcuts, but you have to make decisions. I mean, you, you have to compress this world, which is why, you know, you can run across the city of Athens in, you know, three minutes and right. you can run from Athens to Corinth in, you know, seven minutes or something like that. Um, so there's, I mean, you have to make conveniences, but it's, right. I think it, it captures it, it it does its job. I mean, because again, you feel like you are in Greece. You feel like you're in a different world. And I think that's why you that's probably why you play video games in the first place. But I think you pick up this game and buy it because you want to be in ancient Greece and it feels like that. Whether right. or not it's that's an accurate, you know, depiction of what Greece was like. Yeah. Again, I think to to, you know, put a finer point on what you were just saying, we have very bad evidence or very limited evidence let me say that for what did everyday look like for everyday people right Mm -hmm. we have lots of plays we have lots of poetry we have these elaborate histories and whatnot but we have we have very little insight to if you're a lower class woman what does your day-to-day look like um and so a lot of this is kind of guesswork some of this is based on material culture sometimes we have for example, little clay figurines. Um, I, I was I saw one archaeologist talking about this game, and they they showed these pictures of um, they have a, a woman kind of kneading something in a bowl as a clay figure that we have preserved, and we have a butcher with a pig's head on a little chopping block, also as a clay figure, and so we can use that to attempt to recreate. What did it look like to be a butcher? What did it look like to be a bread maker and whatnot? But we don't have any of those sorts of records preserved for us. So a lot of this is guesswork. And especially for the lower classes, especially for people who aren't building things out of marble, who aren't building things out of bronze, right? It's fabric, it's wood and mud. And these things deteriorate. Yeah. Um, over time. And so a lot is a lot is lost to us in terms of like we know what the really impressive structures look like a lot of the time. We don't have tons of like normal people houses. And so it can be difficult to recreate because we know Pericles, you know, the leader of Athens, his house is going to look a lot different from the breadmaker's house. Right. And so we know a lot about what his house might have looked like and we almost know nothing about what the breadmaker's 
house would look like. But I think they do the best with what, with what we have, you know, they make some interesting choices. I saw one archeologist talking about the game, going back to the butcher example is, you know, there's a debate with among scholars, whether people bought their meat from butchers or if all meat was made available when they made sacrifices to the gods. Right. And there's this debate and scholars are split. And so this game has made a choice. Uh, there are actual butcher shops or butcher stalls in this game where you you could theoretically go up and buy, you know, a pig's head or a rack of ribs or whatever. Uh, but not all scholars think that's the way. But again, they're making a choice and making what could it could have looked like. Yeah, and it's I mean, you're absolutely right that it's 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 really hard, especially in the case of um, you know, sort of non fancy, non aristocratic people to sort of reconstruct anything. Uh, mm -hmm. because it, and even then, I mean, our, our evidence, especially for Greece, more so, I think, than Rome is, is very top heavy. I mean, it's very, right. you know, focused on the people at the top. And you know, there's much more of an emphasis on, you know, aristocratic culture and military, you know, political military culture. But even when we do have glimpses, I mean, we have got, you know, philosophical dialogues. We've got mentions of, you know, we, we see women in various places it's often very prescriptive, right? It tells us right. how society or at least the author, or at least, you know, Socrates or whoever's talking, um, how, how, how women should act or how a slave should act or how a man should act. Right. That's different than giving us a, an actual, uh, you know, sort of representation of what's happening. Um, right. you know, you, you drive down the road and you see a, a, a speeding sign or, a, you know, a, a traffic sign that says, 35 miles an hour and everyone's blowing by at 40. I mean, that's the difference between a prescriptive law, right? Or a prescriptive description and a representation of reality. So it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's being a historian is hard. Being a cultural historian is hard. Um, trying to figure out what things were based right. on, you know, such problematic evidence. And it's just limited evidence. Again, I think we've said this in a previous episode, but the amount of even text that existed, you know, the text is always skewed mostly to the upper classes, to, you know, more of the kind of finer plays and poems and things like that. Uh, but even that is a small sample of what actually existed in antiquity, right? You know, people debate, have we lost 80% of all that was written in ancient Greece and Rome, or have we lost 95%, right? It's not, have we lost 20%? We're missing huge swaths of literature. And so, you know, you are trying to make do with what you have, which is oftentimes not all that much. Yeah, I mean, even even something like tragedy, right? And, you know, right. tragedy is cool. We can talk about the theaters um, in this world, but... You know, tragedy is born in Athens, right? It, it shows up first in the sixth century, and then you know, it's a sort of a stalwart of the the fifth century. We think about the fifth century as like the the pinnacle. You know, we have between three and four percent of the tragedies that were put on in Athens in the fifth century, right? And that's that's a genre that's particularly well preserved. Yeah, you know, so it's that, to have three and four percent. Um, in something that we know a lot about, or we think we know a lot about, it's wild. Um, yeah. You know, and it's that, and, and based on the sort of the the the, the festivals, the city dynasty, where they did these tragedies, we have a sense for how much we don't have. But so many other things, epic poems, histories, 
um, lyric poems. We don't even know what we don't have. Right. Right. I mean, sometimes you, sometimes you learn, oh, you know, so-and-so wrote this poem and we don't have it or so-and-so did this and we know we don't have it. But if someone's not mentioned, if we, if there's no other mention of something, we don't don't know know that that we don't have it, which is, you know, infuriating. Um, Did you see that just in the news recently, they, they were starting to access the scrolls from Herculaneum? Oh, I had not seen that. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, so there's these these libraries of of, of charred scrolls from uh, a house in Herculaneum, and they've they've just started to use X-ray to sort of read what's in these otherwise completely lost documents. So it's yeah. And listener, you you have probably heard of the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, and you may have heard of Pompeii before, right? But Herculaneum is another one of these towns that was buried in ash from that eruption, and yeah. We have these brickettes of scrolls that we are able to, with modern technology, slowly read layer by layer. Uh, and that is very exciting. So hopefully we'll discover new texts and that'll help enlighten classicists and understand a new section that we haven't had access to before. Uh, but that remains to be seen. Um, so again, any recon- any reconstruction effort for this video game is already going to run into all sorts of difficulties because there are some things that you can obviously base in facts. Like we have certain artifacts and we know where some artifacts are from. Right. And so there are some really strong pieces that you can choose to restore faithfully or not. But a lot of times it's scholarly guesses, right? Here's what we think this thing would have looked like. Um, the historian that I mentioned earlier uh, at Ubisoft uh, mentioned that um, a lot of the way that they reconstructed was not only on these, you know, like archaeological records, these like um, site digs that outline what towns looked like and whatnot. But again, they're also drawing on people like Thucydides, who wrote the history of the Peloponnesian War, Herodotus, who you meet in the game, who wrote about the Persian Wars, um, and then a much later source. Um, not from the time of ancient um, Athens in the 5th century, but a a traveler named Pausanias. Um, Pausanias is traveling around in the 2nd century AD, so hundreds of years later. And, you know, he talks about the temples that he sees and what did they look like. Um, And oftentimes they're drawing on Pausanias's reports of how a structure appeared in his time but how closely does that map on to what was happening in the fifth century in Athens? It's hard to say, right? And so we don't have a good source necessarily for all of these buildings. And so sometimes we have to default to much, much later sources to have any sort of idea of what it could have looked like. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Sam. I mean, that's one of the problems with these, especially cities. Um, when we think of the ancient world, you know, we tend to think about cities. We think about ancient Rome. We think about Alexandria, we think about Athens. Um, and, you know, listener, if you were to close your eyes and say, I'm going to imagine Greece, you're probably going to think about Athens. You're probably going to think about the Acropolis. You're not going to think about, you know, a, a pig farmer, um, you know, in the middle of Ithaca. Um, you're going to think about these cities, even though a very small percentage of the population lives in the cities, right? Most people are mm-hmm. are farmers. But these cities, which are, are you know, often the sites of these these most tremendous examples of architecture, um, these repositories of information and material goods, and also um, sometimes of, of literary texts. 
the problem with these cities is that they've been continuously occupied. Right. Right. It wasn't like the ancient Greeks were like, well, uh, Alexander the Great just died. Uh, so the, the classical period is over. Let's all leave so we can preserve this, this for archaeologists. Right. There it's it's continuously occupied, you know, to this day. And so the things that were built in the archaic period in Athens were then taken down and rebuilt in the classical period. Right. Um, for example, the the temple to Athena on the Acropolis, right? It's destroyed during the Persian occupation, um, during the the Persian Wars in you know around 480. And so it's rebuilt. And the you know, what we see in this game is the rebuilt version. Right. But then of course, you know, not just the Parthenon, but other buildings as well. You know, over time things fall down, things burn down, you reconstruct them, you change them. The Romans come in, they redo things, change things. And right. so you find these ruins, and it's it's sometimes hard to tell what something is or what something looked like. You know, in right. the case of, of, of the theater of Dionysus, for example. Right. I mean, what we have is mostly Roman or Hellenistic. And you have to then sort of guesstimate or just sometimes guess what it maybe looked like in the fifth century. You know, right. what did it look like in the sixth century um, when, you know, the first uh, plays were put on under uh, the tyrant Isistratus? It's hard. And we have very few opportunities as, you know, as, as classes, as, as archaeologists to access these cities. And, you know, a place like Rome is another great example where you can't go to Rome and say, hey, uh, you know, knock on the door of someone's, you know, new. And when I say new in Rome, I mean like from the 15th century. Right. Um, you know, their new apartment building. And you know, do you mind if I bulldoze your apartment complex? Because I'm curious if there might right. be something Roman underneath it. Um, so there's there's sometimes there are opportunities. And a great example in Greece for Athens was before the um the Olympics in, in 2004, they added to the subway or they, I think they dug a new new subway system. Mm-hmm. And so they were actually able to go down and dig down and archaeologists got a brief glimpse, um, you know, beneath the city when, when normally you wouldn't otherwise see that. But right. Yeah. It's, these are living cities are living entities. They change and evolve and morph over time. And so it's hard to figure out what something looked like at any given moment. Right. How's it, what does this look like in 480? What does it look like in 431 versus what does it look like, uh, you know, in the fourth century or the third century. Yeah. I think we should give some examples uh, from the game of how exactly to do that. And do I think, it. I think the Acropolis, right. Athens is a great city and people have been occupying that area for a long time because there's this kind of massive plateau in the middle that is easily defended. And so Athens has been occupied for a long, 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 long time, because again, is a very safe place to build a city. Um, and leading up to, uh, and on top of that, eventually was built this massive temple to Athena called the Parthenon. Um, if you've seen any ancient Greek temple, it is most likely that building. Extremely important. Um, at the base of that hill, though, um, is what Sam mentioned, this theater of Dionysus. And if you go to Athens today, you will see that it is marble and it is built from you know the Roman period. But during the time that this game is set, in 431 BC, at the very advent of the Peloponnesian War, that theater actually was made of wood. And when you go to when you play the game, you actually do see that they have recreated the theater out of wood in the style that it would have been 
in the fifth century, a very accurate, accurate representation of what that specific theater would have looked like at the time. This is kind of at the base. And as you make your way up to the temple, um, again, in the game, like in modern day, there are these kind of switchbacks. Like you go up and turn right and go up a little bit further and turn left, um, kind of winding your way up the hill. Um, but that actually is a later addition. In the 5th century Athens, that sort of switchback system built into the side of the Acropolis wasn't actually how people got up there. It was much more of a straight path leading up the hill. And so there are difficulties in recreating this. There are opportunities where they can make things as it was at the time. And there are other, there are other choices that they make that actually preserve what is here from a later period. Um, and I think no better example of this in the game is... Um, there, there's no better example than the Parthenon on top of that Acropolis, this massive temple. Um, they get a lot right. They also weirdly get a lot of things wrong. Um, Sam, do you remember during the Peloponnesian War what the Parthenon was used for by the Athenians? Was this when it was a treasury? Or yeah. was it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in the game, right, you can go up to the Parthenon and in the very front entrance, there is this kind of massive store of, of valuables. And this is largely how the Athenians are funding the war effort is in this treasury on the top of this hill um, in the temple of Athena, a very secure place to, to keep a treasury. Um, yeah, I remember in the uh, the great comedy uh, Lysistrata by Aristophanes, right, where the women of Athens uh, have a sex stripe to end the war, but they also seize the, the Athenian treasury. Um, up on the uh, the right. Parthenon. So. Yeah. Um, and this is a very famous temple. Um, and the decorations on it are also extremely famous. And there's this is one place where the game doesn't get it right. So they get a detail right. Here is this treasury in this temple. You can steal from it if you want to in the game. Um, and at the very top of these temples, there's this kind of triangle where a bunch of statues would have been placed. Um, and the statues placed in the Parthenon are extremely famous. You may have heard of the Elgin marbles, which are in the British Museum today. Um, these were taken by the British and have been kept in London for um, a couple hundred years, I think, at this point. Um, and there's a big conflict. You know, Athens really wants those marbles returned so that they can uh, put them on display in this very fancy museum they have in the city of Athens, specifically built for these artifacts. Um, but it, it is striking that here we have these very famous marbles that have a very complicated history to this day. Uh, and they are not the marbles that the developers have chosen to put on the Parthenon in the game. Um, not only are there not marble statues, um, they've actually put bronze statues um, on the Temple of Athena. Um, so it is, it is noticeable. Not only do they not get the correct statues on the pediment, that triangle at the top of the, the temple correct. But they don't even get the medium in which those things would have been made correct, which is kind of a striking omission or um, I, I won't say mistake because um, I'm sure that they know, their historian knows what those are supposed to look like. And I think this gets to just the difficulty of building a game of this size. Um, yeah, I wonder if they didn't put the uh the eastern and western pediments you know didn't sort of faithfully recreate them 
I wonder if that was, I mean, does it have to do right with the, the controversy around the Elgin marbles, right? That these, you know, historic artifacts that are quintessentially Greek, you know, are in the protection of the, the, you know, the British government and, you know, they, they want them back, right? Greece wants them back, as you mentioned. Um, even uh, though the, 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 the parliament in the UK, right. In 1816 just de declared that they were legally taken. I mean, do, do you think this is some sort of political, you know, let's not, let's not get involved in it. Or do you think this is just, I, I personally think that this is just a, a time save. Uh, you can see these sculptures on other temples throughout the game. Um, it is repeated in other um, oh, every every pediment looks the same. No, I don't know about every pediment, but it is okay. it is used regularly. I, I went and looked at a couple of other temples, and several other temples have used it. I think the I think the pediments that they use for the Parthenon are maybe from the Temple of Zeus at Olympia. Um, um, listener, you can double check me on that. It is it is a pediment used on Greek temples, but is not for that one in particular. And they make a couple couple of other mistakes similar to that. You know, below that that pediment at the top of the temple there are these small kind of squares that depict mythological events called metopes and they also get the metopes on the parthenon wrong um, in the actual parthenon there were depictions of centaurs fighting lapiths um, amazons fighting and also scenes from the trojan war and what we actually get in the game is more the labors of of hercules repeated over and over and over and over again, uh, which again is is incorrect. And so there are some interesting moments where like they get a lot of things right. They they have the treasury in the temple, but the decorations on the temple are are not the ones that actually were on um, the Parthenon. Um, so that's that's interesting. I was actually this morning in discovery mode, flying around right on Icaros on my on my eagle, and uh, I was looking at the metopes, and I only looked at you know a couple of them. But they did seem to line up, at least one of them did. I mean, this is a small data point. One of them sort of matched up with a fragmentary metope that we have where it's like a horse. And I don't, I'm not sure if it was the the lapis and the centaurs, but there's sort of like the body of a horse. And it looked like it mapped on to the one metope I looked at. So maybe this is just a, a coincidence. Oh, um, maybe. The one that I saw a lot is uh, Hercules fighting the Hydra. Yeah, yeah, I saw that times. as well. Yeah. Um, but it's, so, it's, it's also, yeah. there, there are a lot of snake stuff, which is interesting, right? I think there's a bunch of snakes on the pediments we have in the game on the, the Parthenon, which is interesting because, you know, there's this idea that the Athenians believed that they were um, autochthonous, that they were born out of the earth. Right. right. I think we've talked about this in a, in a previous episode a little bit, but they that connected them with, um, in, in some ways, sort of serpents, right? This sort of chthonic idea. Um, and some of the earliest kings in ancient Athens were yeah. supposedly snaky. Yeah, snake um, men. Erechtheus was a kind of snake guy. Exactly. Um, so, and, so I wondered if if the sort of emphasis, you know, on snakes, uh, had to do with that. But it seems weird to to choose that and prioritize that over what we actually know, you know, the, yeah. the Western pediment we have is the story of uh, Poseidon and Athena. It's, it's, we have it, it's in England. You can go and you can look at it. Um, and they elsewhere, we can talk about, um, you know, what we have elsewhere on the Acropolis. 
but they they do emphasize especially in the discovery mode this battle between athena and poseidon so it seems right. weird to, to not 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 have that you know fully represented so that's yeah that's very interesting yeah again it is notable uh they also have you know the statue of Pallas athena that they have put in the temple that is you know you 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 meet the sculptor phidias in the game and this is the general recreation that most people accept you can go see a recreation of it in nashville in the concrete parthenon there if you're so curious uh so they they do incorporate these other things um but it is interesting again that they they don't get the the details around kind of the top of the temple correct um now people who have played the game before you even get to the temple though you may have noticed the massive statue of athena that's like 30 feet high made of bronze and you may have wondered that's kind of crazy was that real and I can actually tell you that, yes, that this massive bronze statue of Athena actually was there in antiquity. Um, this was dedicated to Athena Promachos, this kind of like dedication to Athena as a war strategist um, in celebration of the Greeks defeating the Persians. The Persians tried to invade Greeks, Greece and the Greeks beat them off in this kind of pan-Hellenic unified force. And as a celebration, they built this beautiful statue to Athena. And it was said to, um, when the sun hit the statue, the head shone so brightly that sailors could see it as they were coming in to Athens. Um, and you may wonder where these sorts of statues come from. In the game, you see lots of bronze statues. Sam, can you tell our dear listeners where did all of these bronze statues go? Well, I assume they got melted down. And yeah. Were cannons made out of them? I mean, that seems like the natural course of events is we take art as humans and we destroy it so that we could, you know, fight wars. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have very few bronze things left from the ancient world. We have lots of Roman copies in marble of Greek bronze originals. Uh, if you go to any museum in Europe with an antiquity section, you'll see that repeated over and over and over and over. Just because you can't really reuse marble, but you can reuse bronze, right? It is a valuable metal that can be turned into weapons. Um, and so oftentimes these things are melted down. And when we do actually have preserved bronze statues, oftentimes those come from the ocean where boats sank uh, with bronze statues that sunk to the bottom of the ocean. And then archaeologists have later recovered, lifted to the surface and are now on display in museums. Um, yeah. But you might be, you might be surprised. You might have seen that massive bronze statue of Athena and said, there's no way that existed. And it actually in fact did, which is kind of remarkable. But I think it's also interesting um, that you're right. I mean, I, I think more of bronze statues when I think of Greece and more mm -hmm. of marble statues when I think of Rome, though I think that's an oversimplification. But there's also there's this huge emphasis on marble statues in this game. Um, mm -hmm. And there's even in Athens, right, there's different districts. There's sort of the, the pottery district and the fabric district. There's a marble district. And there's, right. you know, I, I watched an interview with um, Ben Hall, who's the the world I think the world director, I think for this game, right? He, he's okay. yeah. creating this world for us. And he was like really emphasizing the marble statues and how watching them create the marble statues and the process of it. And there were marble statues, I think, yeah, um, which were painted, which they have in the game, which is great. But was there 
was there more marble than bronze? That's that's not something I know. I mean, I, I yeah. don't know if, if if we can know that. Yeah, I'd have to defer to an archaeologist on that on that question. Um, definitely, bronze was much more common than it was though in in the Roman period for sure. But I do believe that Athens was. There are many mines near Athens, famously silver mines that yes. Athens. Um, uses to its advantage geographically to amass a lot of wealth. Um, but also, I believe there are marble quarries near Athens. So I think Athens yes. had a lot of access to to marble as well. Um, so it wouldn't have been out of the question to have all of these marble statues too. Um, and if, I believe it would be cheaper to make them out of marble as opposed to bronze. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the yeah, the the the, the Parthenon is, is made out of pentelic marble um which i think was relatively local i think it's just north northern attica but yeah it's i don't know it's these sort of questions where you know do, are they leaning into marble because that's sort of the representation we have of greek the greek sort of statuary because of the romans i mean is it sort of what happened afterward that's dictating the way that we understand the past. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think maybe we can go back to that, that Thucydides quote that you, you know, elegantly read at the beginning, right? This whole idea of preserving something in order to learn from it in the future. Um, but what gets lost, I mean, if there's sort of iterations, I mean, Herodotus talks about, you know, history basically repeating itself, but if we, you know, sort of, if history repeats itself and we, you know, sort of get lost in the intermediary versions or the intermediary tellings or the intermediary sort of ways that things unfold, does that then sort of obfuscate the original? You know, is it the true repetition um, or is it sort of a, you know, a representation? You know, does history, maybe it does, maybe I'm not making any sense. <laughs> No, I mean, I think it's a good question, right? Um, what we have is what shapes our understanding of the ancient world. And what yeah. we have is limited. Um, and so we have lots and lots and lots and lots of marbles. I'm sure museums are begging for no more marble statues. We have infinite marble statues. Um, well, send them to me, you know, over send here. Them to the, us. Uh, the, the All Roads headquarters, we'll, uh, we'll take them. Right. It's very much like the case with also pottery. We have so much pottery from the ancient world, like... Uh, I'm I'm sure the archaeologists would cringe, but in some ways we don't need much more pottery because we we kind of get it because there's so much good preserved pieces and there's even more badly preserved broken pieces of pottery. Like we know a lot about pottery in the ancient world because there's just so much of it because that's what survives. But the wood stuff, the fabric stuff, we have very little of any of that, and so it is very precious and is used to probably reconstruct more than we probably should be able to right we have very limited we have very limited evidence for certain of these things and so we rely on a very scant pieces of evidence to recreate large portions of how people actually live their lives and that's just that's just the nature of it and maybe we could talk about the the actual statue of athena inside the temple yeah um which uh was that was that marble or was that bronze so this is actually something called Chris Elephantine. Um, this is a combination of ivory and gold. And this statue was actually built in such a way that it is actually 
um, kind of sheets of gold um, that can be removed. Um, Sam, I think you heard a legend that this was meant to check Phidias's work. They would weigh it, make sure he didn't cheat them yeah. on the gold. And um, I think they thought he did, right? Um, you mentioned the Phidias quest. I haven't replayed that, but maybe we can talk more about that when we do our famous people episode. But right, Phidias, the the sculptor who who sculpts the Chris Elephantine, one of my favorite words in the universe. Um, right, this gold and ivory statue of Athena, he's accused of stealing some of the gold that he was given. Um, and I think that's why he leaves Athens and he then goes to Olympia and makes the statue of Zeus, the Chris Elephantine statue of Zeus, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that more in our, our famous people episode. I think probably in terms of just like uh, the construction of that piece. Um, it is also in some ways a bank for the city of Athens too. If thing if the goings get rough, you can take off a piece of gold from the statue, melt it down, and use it to pay mercenaries, pay for ships, um, so on and so forth. Um, so and they it do is that. kind of a, and they do do that, yeah, right. And that's I think that's that's sort of a, a prevents a, a a problem for them, right? Because that that gold is is seen as sort of belonging to Athena. And this is where Phidias gets in trouble because he's if he's taken the gold, he's not just stolen from the city of Athens, but he's you know committed a sort of sacrilegious theft from the god. And so the question is then later in uh you know Greek history when you need a little bit of money and maybe you then melt down some of the gold, but you're gonna put it back, you know, when 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 times are a little bit better. Can you take a loan out? Can you take a loan out from Athena or or is that sort of sacrilegious as well? I mean, it's an interesting question. I think it's one that the the Greeks themselves actually sort of wrestled with in the moment. Yeah. Okay. There are many other famous buildings on the Acropolis. Uh, you can see the temple to Nike victory still being built in the game, but perhaps there's no more famous building than the Parthenon than the Erechtheion um, on the Acropolis. Um, and there are a couple of really cool things about this building. And we mentioned Erechtheus, the first king of Athens, snake guy, um, very important. And, here we have a building that is famous for its architecture. It has these columns that are actually um, women um, holding kind of musical like implements, um, which are remarkable and preserved in the game. Um, and the erect yeah, the 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 caryatids that these yeah. they were actually they're very faithfully um, recreated. Um, the only difference between the you know the, the caryatids we have you know what most of them are are in the Acropolis Museum is that our versions doesn't have arms right and they have arms so I, I was playing the game again with my son this morning and I was admiring you know it was I was sort of baffled because again as you as you mentioned before right the pediment on the um the Parthenon's like all out of whack and it's made up and a lot of the art inside the temples is just sort of like repeating scenes of stuff from the Odyssey or something mm-hmm but they get the carry edits right. But then my son was like, they're not the same. This one doesn't have arms. I'm like, well, listen, <laughs> <laughs> arms fall off. Um, right. 
Right. But it's um, it's a cool it's a cool building, right? I mean, it's yeah, and it, it also we 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 have a another cool non architectural addition, right? We have this tree, this olive yeah. tree. Yeah. Um. So, listener, you may have heard that there was a famous contest between Athena and Poseidon about who would be the patron god of this city. Um, and in this competition, um, Pallas Athena and Poseidon gave gifts to the people of Athens to kind of win their affection. Um, Athena famously gave an olive tree. And to this day, you can visit the Acropolis and see an ancient olive tree um, next to the Erechtheion um, that dates back to before the Persian War. Famously, the Persians came and burned the tree and they thought it was dead and shortly thereafter it bloomed again and it's been you know um, alive ever since uh, a, a kind of beautiful ancient thick trunked olive tree that was athena's gift to people do you know what uh poseidon's gift to the athenians was i believe it was a saltwater spring a saltwater spring and the athenians less, were grateful for it That's less nice. useful less useful important symbol though Athens, of course, is known as a naval power in ancient Greece. And so this saltwater spring from Poseidon is very much a kind of endorsement from the sea god to say, hey, y'all can be the naval power that you are today. Um, but, of course, they go with Athena, and that's where we yeah. get the name Athens. Uh, you can't drink salt water, right? You can't drink I mean, salt it's... water, but you can drink olive oil. Um, probably shouldn't all the time, but... You absolutely you can. Do, can. You can do just about anything with olives. I mean, that's the the amazing thing. I mean, olives grow obviously in in the sort of arid climate of Greece, but I mean, you can eat olives. You can make olive oil, which you can then use in lamps for cleaning, for cooking, for right. drinking. You know, if you're into the Mediterranean diet, which a lot of Greeks were and are. A very a very practical gift from a very wise goddess, um, but nonetheless, the Erechtheion we have another statue of Athena in there. We have her olive tree, but kind of in the lower level, right below it, there is a little shrine to Poseidon um, and a, st a statue of him there with his trident. Um, is there in the game a spring? I, there's like a little, there's like a little pool, but it's not like a, I don't know if it's naturally fed by a string. I couldn't find like the actual saltwater spring if it's represented. Did you? Do you no, find it or look for I, it? I don't I don't know. I do know that in antiquity there was actually like a little like kind of like window cut into the ceiling, I believe, um, right above Poseidon's tridents. Like there's like a little opening to let like the water in. Um that is not in in the game itself. Um so they had like a leak. They had like a leak and they were like, Oh, this must have been the gift of Poseidon. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Poseidon, but we're going to so, go with Athena. Interesting. So there you go. Um, but yeah, another important building that is like quite faithfully recreated. I think it has painting on the outside of the temple, which I'm not sure we actually have attested in antiquity that we have wall paintings on the outside of buildings. But nonetheless, again, a very interesting um, presentation of the Erechtheion. And I think... You know, we've been criticizing some of the less small nuances um, and sometimes big things like the pediments of the Parthenon. But I think we're nitpickers. I think we everything we do. I mean, maybe maybe that's just our 
classic right. training. But well, what I want to come around to though is they don't get everything right, and I'm not sure that you could get everything right. Um, it is a massive feat what has been done in this game, even if they just did Athens. This would this is a tremendous amount of work, incredibly hard to do, and you know, 20 years later, I'm sure that there will be some change. They'll say, oh, actually this temple looked like this. Oh, this structure um, was placed a little bit differently, right? Archaeologists are constantly working on Athens as a city and how it was laid out and things like that. But I think in both the broad strokes and many of the subtle touches, this is a tremendous resource. A lot of people have talked about, you know, the educational opportunity that Assassin's Creed audience uh, Odyssey presents to students like this is a really good chance to put them in the world right descriptions and books can only help you so much and it just changes things when you're able to see things in three dimensions and I know lots of especially archaeologists use this um, video game to help their students understand what the layout of things were and can use it to also just practice um, catching those little nitpicks. What are the small changes we would make? But, you know, overall, this is what Athens in the 5th century would have largely looked like. Heck, they even get the drainage system in Athens um, in this game. You can see the kind of underwater um, um, gutter system um, throughout much of Athens, too. They get, again, a lot of details extremely correct and i think it is a a boon for classics to have a video game like this with such fidelity well let's hope there wasn't a mystheus running around just killing everybody left and right uh hunting down yeah. the cult of cosmos yeah uh, that was wrong yeah you know, we'll talk about that maybe uh when we talk about the uh the famous people yeah well, well yeah the storyline Pythagoras didn't live to be over 200 years old and was, you know, secretly hiding in like, according to you, <laughs> according to me, you know, there's plenty of liberties taken with uh, the history here in service of the story. But in terms of a historical recreation of Athens, I think you'd be hard pressed to do much better um, with, yeah. than what they've done here. Um, so, so kudos to that entire team. Um, and I think they continue to deliver really high quality recreations in their other games as well. Um, and it is cool that, you know, they could choose not to have done this and to have done whatever they wanted. And it is, it is a real benefit that they chose to invest the time and the money to get it right. Well, Ubisoft, we're still waiting on early Imperial Rome, uh, a full game, fully fleshed out uh, when you need someone to, uh, talk to i'm happy to, to be that man uh reach out and i'll uh you know my people will talk to your people well listener we thank you so much for listening have you played assassin's creed odyssey did you like it are there nitpicks about the recreation of athens that we didn't touch on that you really want us to know that you know well you can send us an email at allrosepod at gmail.com we love hearing from listeners. If you have feedback on the show, if you have future ideas of what content we can bring to you on your commute, doing chores around your house, uh, let us know. We'd also love it if you went to Apple Podcasts and love it, left us a five-star review. And while you're there, why not type in a few words? Hey, these two Sams are great. We love their expertise. 
and we want to hear more about X, Y, and Z. Let us know. It helps other people find the show on Apple Podcasts. It, it brings ears to the show and just allows us to do an even better job because we crave feedback. So let us know. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Roads Pod. Um, like our posts, our memes. And listener, as always, I've been Sam Han. I'm Dr. Sam Kindick. And if all roads lead to Rome, then why not take a detour with us? Goodbye. Bye.